Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman, known as Spurgeon's Gems. And today's message is from volume 1, number 50. It's entitled, The Holy Ghost, The Great Teacher. We're halfway through this message, and the point is entitled, In the Third Place, Here is a Person Provided. A Person Provided. There's none other than God, and this God is none other than a person. The person is He, the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. Not an influence or an emanation, but actually a person. When the Spirit of Truth is come, He shall guide you into all truth. Now, we wish you to look at this guy to consider how adapted he is to us. In the first place, he is infallible. He knows everything and cannot lead us astray. If I pin my sleeve to another man's coat, he may lead me part of the way rightly, but by and by he will go wrong himself, and I shall be led astray with him. But if I give myself to the Holy Ghost and ask his guidance... There is no fear of my wandering. Again, we rejoice in this spirit because he is ever-present. We fall into a difficulty sometimes. We say, oh, if I could take this to my minister, he would explain it. But I live so far off, I'm not able to see him. Well, that perplexes us, and we turn the text around and around and cannot make anything out of it. We look at the commentators. We take down pious Thomas Scott, and as usual, he says nothing about it if it's a dark passage. Then we go to holy Matthew Henry, and if it is an easy scripture, he's sure to explain it. But if it's a text hard to be understood, it's likely enough, of course, left in his own gloom. And even Dr. Gill himself, the most consistent of commentators, when he comes to a hard passage, manifestly avoids it in some degree. But when we have no commentator or minister, we still have the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a little secret. Whenever you cannot understand a text, open your Bible, bend your knee, and pray over that text. And if it does not split into atoms and open itself, try again. If prayer does not explain it, it is one of the things God did not intend you to know. And you may be content to be ignorant of it. Prayer is the key that opens the cabinets of mystery. Prayer and faith are sacred pick locks that can open secrets and obtain great treasures. There is no college for holy education like that of the Blessed Spirit, for he is an ever-present tutor to whom we have only to bend the knee, and he is at our side, the great expositor of truth. But there is one thing about the suitability of this guide which is remarkable. I do not know whether it has struck you. Uh, the Holy Spirit can guide us into a truth. Now, man can guide us to a truth, but it is only the Holy Spirit who can guide us into a truth. When he, the Spirit of truth, shall come, he shall guide you into Mark that word, all truth. Now, for instance, it is a long while before you can lead some people to election. But when you have made them see its correctness, you have not led them into it. 
You may show them that it is plainly stated in Scripture, but they'll turn away and hate it. You take them to another great truth, but they have been brought up in a different fashion, and though they cannot answer your arguments, they say, the man is right, perhaps, and they whisper, but so low that conscience itself cannot hear, but it is so contrary to my prejudices that I cannot receive it. After you've led them to the truth, and they see it is true, how hard it is to lead them into it. There are many of my hearers who are brought to the truth of their depravity, but they're not brought into it and made to feel it. Some of you are brought to know the truth that God keeps us from day to day, but you rarely get into it, so as to live in continual dependence upon God the Holy Ghost and draw fresh supplies from Him. The thing is to get inside it. A Christian should do with truth as a snail does with his shell. He lives inside it as well as carries it on his back and bears it perpetually about with him. The Holy Ghost, it is said, shall lead us into all truth. You may be brought to a chamber where there is an abundance of gold and silver, but you will be no richer unless you effect an entrance. It is the Spirit's work to unbar the two-leaved gates and bring us into a truth so that we may get inside it. And as dear old Roland Hill said, not only hold the truth, but have the truth hold us. Fourthly, here is a method suggested. He shall guide you into all truth. Now, I must have an illustration. I must compare truth to some cave or grotto that you've heard of, with wondrous stalactites hanging from the roof, others coming up from the floor a cavern glittering with spar and abounding in marvels. Before entering the cavern, you inquire for a guide who comes with his lighted torch. He conducts you down to a considerable depth, and you find yourself in the midst of the cave. He leads you through different chambers. Here he points to a little stream rushing from amid the rocks and indicates its rise and progress. There he points to some peculiar rock and tells you its name. Then he takes you into a large natural hall, tells you how many persons once feasted in it, and so on. Truth is a grand series of caverns. It is our glory to have so great and wise a conductor. Imagine that we are coming to the darkness of it. He is a light shining in the midst of us to guide us. And by the light he shows us wondrous things. In three ways the Holy Ghost teaches us, by suggestion, direction, and illumination. First he guides us into all truth by suggesting it. There are thoughts that dwell in our minds that were not born there, but which were exotics and brought from heaven and put there by the Spirit. It's not a fancy that angels whisper into our ears and that devils do the same. Both good and evil spirits hold converse with men, and some of us have known it. We've had strange thoughts which were not the offspring of our souls, but which came from angelic visitants. And direct temptations and evil insinuations have we had, which were not brewed in our own souls, but which came from the pestilential cauldron of hell. And so the Spirit does speak in men's ears, sometimes in the darkness of the night. In ages gone by, he spoke in dreams and visions, but now he speaks by his word. 
Have you not at times had unaccountably in the middle of your business a thought concerning God and heavenly things and could not tell whence it came? Have you not been reading or studying the scripture but a text came across your mind and you couldn't help it? Though you even put it down, it was like cork in water and would swim up again to the top of your mind. Well, that good thought was put there by the Spirit. He often guides his people into all truth by suggesting, uh, just as the guide in the grotto does with his torch. He does not say a word, perhaps, but he walks into a passage himself and you follow him. And so the Spirit suggests a thought and your heart follows it up. Well can I remember the manner in which I learned the doctrines of grace in a single instant. Born, as all of us are by nature, an Arminian, I still believed the old things I had heard continually from the pulpit and did not see the grace of God. I remember sitting one day in the house of God and hearing a sermon as dry as possible and as worthless as all such sermons are when a thought struck my mind. How came I to be converted. I prayed, thought I, and then I thought, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? Why, I I did read them, and, and what led me to that? And then in a moment I saw that God was at the bottom of all, and that he was the author of faith. And then the whole doctrine opened up to me, from which I have not departed. But sometimes he leads us by direction. The guide points and says, There, gentlemen, uh, go along that particular path. Uh, That's the way. And so the Spirit gives a direction and tendency to our thoughts, not suggesting a new one, but letting a particular thought, when it starts, take such and such a direction not so much putting a boat on the stream as steering it when it is there. When our thoughts are considering sacred things, he leads us into a more excellent channel from that in which we started. Time after time, have you commenced a meditation on a certain doctrine and unaccountably you were gradually led away into another and you saw how one doctrine leaned on another? as is the case with the the stones in the arch of a bridge, all hanging on the keystone of Jesus Christ crucified. You were brought to see these things not by a new idea suggested, but by direction given to your thoughts. But perhaps the best way in which the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth is by illumination. He illuminates the Bible. Now, have any of you an illuminated Bible at home? (laughs) No, says one. I have a Morocco Bible. I have a polyglot Bible. I have a marginal reference Bible. (laughs) That is all very well, but but have you an illuminated Bible? Oh, yes, I have a large family Bible with pictures in it. There's a a picture of John the Baptist baptizing Christ by pouring water on his head (laughs) and many other nonsensical things, Uh, but that's not what I mean. Have you an illuminated Bible? Yes, I I have a Bible with splendid engravings on it. Yes, I know you may have, but, but have you an illuminated Bible? I don't understand what you mean by an illuminated Bible. Well, it is the Christian man who has an illuminated Bible. 
he doesn't buy it originally illuminated, but when he reads it, as the poet says, a glory gilds the sacred page, majestic like the sun, which gives a light to every age. It gives but borrows none. There's nothing like reading an illuminated Bible, beloved. You may read to all eternity and never learn anything by it unless it is illuminated by the Spirit. And then the words shine forth like stars. The book seems made of gold leaf. Every single letter glitters like a diamond. Oh, it's a blessed thing to read an illuminated Bible, lit up by the radiance of the Holy Ghost. Have you read the Bible and studied it, my brother, and yet have your eyes been unenlightened? Go and say, O Lord, gild the Bible for me. I want an expounded Bible. Illuminate it. Shine upon it. For I cannot read it to profit unless you enlighten me. Blind men may read the Bible with their fingers, but blind souls cannot. We need a light to read the Bible by. There is no reading it in the dark. Thus the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth by suggesting ideas, by directing our thoughts, and by illuminating the scriptures when we read them. Well, the last thing is an evidence, number five. The question arises, how may I know whether I am enlightened by the Spirit's influence and led into all truth? First, you may know the Spirit's influence by its unity. He guides us into all truth. Secondly, by its universality. He guides us into all truth. First, if you are judging a minister, whether he has the Holy Ghost in him or not, you may know him in the first place by the constant unity of his testimony. A man cannot be enlightened by the Holy Spirit who preaches yea and nay. The Spirit never says one thing at one time and another thing at another time. There are indeed many good men who say both yea and nay, but still their contrary testimonies are not both from God the Spirit. For God the Spirit cannot witness to black and white, to a falsehood and to truth. It has been always held as a first principle that truth is one thing. But some persons say, well, I find one thing in one part of the Bible and another thing in another. And though it contradicts itself, I must believe it. Uh, all quite right, brother, if it did contradict itself. But the fault is not in the wood, but in the carpenter. Many carpenters do not understand dovetailing. So there are many preachers who do not understand dovetailing. It's very nice work. It's not easily learned. It takes some apprenticeship to make all doctrines square together. Some preachers preach very good Calvinism for half an hour, and the next quarter of an hour, Arminianism. If they are Calvinists, let them stick to it. If they are Arminians, let them stick to it. Let their preaching be all of one piece. Don't let them pile up things only to kick them all down again. Let us have one thing woven from the top throughout. And let us not rend it. How did Solomon know the true mother of the child? Cut it in halves, he said. The woman who was not the mother did not care as long as the other did not get the whole, and, and she consented. Ah, said the true mother, give her the living child. Let her have it, rather than cut it in halves. 
And so the true child of God would say, I give it up. Let my opponent conquer. I do not want to have the truth cut in halves. I'd rather be all wrong than have the word altered to my taste. We do not want to have a divided Bible. No, we claim the whole living child or none at all. We may rest assured of this, that until we get rid of our linsey-woolsey doctrine and cease to sow mingled seed, we shall not have a blessing. An enlightened mind cannot believe a gospel which denies itself. It must be one thing or the other. One thing cannot contradict another, and yet it and its opposite be equally true. No, you, you may know the Spirit's influence then by the unity of its testimony, and you may know it by its universality. The true child of God will not be led into some truth, but into all truth, not some truth, but all truth. When first he starts, he will not know half the truth. He will believe it, but not understand it. He will have the germ of it, but not the sum total in all of its breadth and length. There's nothing like learning by experience. A man cannot set up for a theologian in a week. Certain doctrines take years to develop themselves, like the aloe that takes a hundred years to be dressed. There be some truths that must lie long in the heart before they really come out and make themselves appear so that we can speak of them as that we do know and testify of that which we have seen. The Spirit will gradually lead us into all truth. For instance, if it be true that Jesus Christ is to reign upon the earth personally for a thousand years, as I am inclined to believe it is, if I am under the Spirit, that will be more and more open to me until I with confidence declare it. Amen, Charles Spurgeon. Some men begin very timidly. A man says, At first I know we are justified by faith and have peace with God, but so many have cried out against eternal justification that I am afraid of it. But he is gradually enlightened and led to see that in the same hour when all his debts were paid, a full discharge was given, that in the moment when its sin was cancelled, every elect soul was justified in God's mind, though they were not justified in their own minds till afterwards. The Spirit shall lead you into all truth. Now, what are the practical inferences from this great doctrine? The first is, with reference to the Christian who is afraid of his own ignorance, how many are there who are just enlightened and have tasted of heavenly things who are afraid they are too ignorant to be saved? Beloved, God the Holy Spirit can teach anyone, however illiterate, however uninstructed. I have known some men who were almost idiots before conversion, but they afterwards had their faculties wonderfully developed. Some time ago there was a man who was so ignorant that he could not read, and he never spoke anything like grammar in his life, unless by mistake. And moreover, he was considered to be what the people in his neighborhood called daft. <laughs> Crazy. But when he was converted, the first thing he did was to pray. He stammered out a few words, and in a little time his powers of speaking began to develop themselves. Then he thought he would like to read the scriptures, and after long, long months of labor, he learned to read. And what was the next thing? He thought he could preach, and he did preach a little in his own homely way in his house. And then he thought, I must read a few more books. 
and so his mind expanded until I believe he is at the present day a useful minister, settled in a country village, laboring for God. It needs but little intellect to be taught of God. If you feel your ignorance, do not despair. Go to the Spirit, the great teacher, and ask his sacred influence, and it shall come to pass that he shall guide you into all truth. Another inference is this. Whenever any of our brethren do not understand the truth, let us take a hint as to the best way of dealing with them. Do not let us controvert with them. I have heard many controversies, but I have never heard of any good from one of them. We have had controversies with certain men called secularists, and very strong arguments have been brought against them. But I believe that the day of judgment shall declare that a very small amount of good was ever done by contending with these men. Better leave them alone. Where there is no fuel, the fire goes out. And he that debates with them puts wood upon the fire. So with regard to baptism, it is of no avail to quarrel with our pedo baptist friends, the ones who baptize children. If we simply pray for them that the God of truth may lead them to see the true doctrine, they'll come to it far more easily than by discussions. Few men are taught by controversy, for, as it says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Pray for them that the spirit of truth may lead them into all truth. Do not be angry with your brother, but pray for him. Cry, Lord, open thou his eyes, that he may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lastly, we speak to some of you who know nothing about the spirit of truth, nor about the truth itself. It may be that some of you are saying, We care not much which of you are right. We are happily indifferent to it. Ah, poor sinner, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was that spoke the truth, you would not say, I care not for it. If you did know how essential the truth is to your salvation, you would not talk so. If you did know that the truth of God is that, well, that you are a worthless sinner. But if you believe, then God from all eternity, apart from all your merits, loved you and bought you with the Redeemer's blood and justified you in the form of heaven and will by and by justify you in the form of your conscience through the Holy Ghost, by faith, if you did know that there is a heaven for you beyond the chance of a failure, a crown for you, the luster of which can never be dimmed, then you would say, indeed the truth is precious to my soul. Why, my ungodly hearers, these men of error want to take away the truth, which alone can save you, the only gospel that can deliver you from hell. They deny the great truths of free grace, those fundamental doctrines which alone can snatch a sinner from hell. And even though you do not feel interest in them now, I still would say you ought to desire to see them promoted. May God give you to know the truth in your hearts. May the Spirit guide you into all truth. For if you do not know the truth here, recollect there will be a sorrowful learning of it in the dark chambers of the pit where the only light shall be the flames of hell. May you here know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. For he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Believe on Jesus, you chief of sinners.
trust his love and mercy, and you are saved. For God the Spirit gives faith and eternal life. Thank you for joining with us today. Please look around the site. We have many other Spurgeon sermons and hundreds and hundreds of other audios. We have other great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. Contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll tell you about our Zoom meetings too. Well, thank you again. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 5th of April, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.